Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. All right, so today for scripture reading, we've got Genesis 12:10 through 13:18. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, He said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and I, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and lots. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Word of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Lord, we pray that this passage would be alive in us. It would change us, it would challenge us, it would grow us in you. Lord, help us to know that you are not the God that bails, but the God that is true to his promises. Help us to walk well. And those promises, even when the famine comes. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. How's everybody doing? How's this sound? Did we doors open, closed? Okay. All right. Just making sure. All right. Okay. So this morning we're going to look at Genesis 12, 10 through 13, 18. It's the second week in our Abraham series. And if you weren't here last week, we're at the beginning of the big story, right? This is like the start of the big redemption story. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything, and when it's all done, God declares that it is very good. But despite this very good creation, things go, go south rather quickly, right? Adam and Eve eat from the tree, and Cain murders Abel, and death and pain and suffering disease enter in, and humanity hides from God in shame, and everything breaks. And Genesis 1 to 11 concludes with the Tower of Babel, this project and empire where they decide to pull everybody in and build this great tower to exploit and to kill and to make a name for themselves. And if there's a summary statement for Genesis 1 to 11, it's this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all. It's not going well, right? That's, a, that's not a nuanced statement. But into this place, God does something profound. God enters in. God sees the wickedness of humanity, and instead of cursing humanity or leaving humanity to its own devices, God enters in. God goes to the far country and finds the lost sheep, even you and me. Even in our full lostness, God enters in and chooses Abraham. And through Abraham, God promises to build a new family and a new humanity where once again all people will walk with God. And he gives Abraham a profound promise. And Ian went over this last week, but it's worth reading again because this is kind of sets us up for this whole series. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God will choose Abraham and all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. So before we go further into our story, do we ever stop to marvel that this actually came true? Like, this is pretty crazy, right? Like, this, this promise is first given to Abraham, and who knows for sure when it happened, somewhere around 1800 BC, and he's one dude without a child. And God says, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And when the Old Testament is being finished and they're reiterating this promise and putting everything together and saying, like, no, this is our story, we're in the exile. And Israel is this tiny sliver of itself, right? It's been reduced from a big kingdom to this tiny sliver of itself, living under foreign power in a foreign land with no power, no wealth, no status, no influence. And they go back to this promise, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Like, if you're a betting man, Israel's not your, your, your horse. You just said the Kentucky Derby, right? Israel's not your horse that you would bet on. 
And here we are in 2023, and something like half the world would call themselves a child of Abraham in some way. That's pretty crazy, right? I mean, that really is profound. That this of all the stories, of all the threads that comes through human history is the one that emerges. Most of us have been grafted in, as Paul will say in Romans, but Christians, Jews, and Muslims all trace their family, their story, their history, and their faith back to Abraham. So it is quite literally true that every nation on earth has been blessed by the promise of Abraham. Like that's, that's profound, right? There is literally not a nation on earth where there is not someone who would call themselves a children, child of Abraham at this point. That's cool. Anyway, that's worth just, I think, dwelling on and pausing over. That said, this is the calling that's been given to Abraham. And as we will see, it's this calling that to, to go forward to all the nations, that all the nations would be blessed through. But we'll see that this calling is not actually a straight line. Abraham is promised the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place where he and his family will flourish. And after he goes to Canaan, what's the first thing that happens? I don't know if you caught it in the scripture reading. Now there was a famine in the land, and the famine was severe. Well, crap. <laughs> Just imagine, right? You're called to leave everything behind. You're called into this great promise. You're called into this new land. And you go. And you're excited. And you're, you're like, God's calling. And there's this new thing going on. And God's going to do this amazing thing. And what's the first thing that happens? Famine. Setback. Have you experienced that? Yeah? <laughs> I mean, not, that's not just me, right? Like, other people have experienced that as well. You set out in this big calling and this big vision and this big idea and this grand thing that, you know, might have a great spiritual significance to you. And the first thing that happens is famine, is setback. You know, we go to launch this big service and the projector fails, right? Or we set up a big out outreach event and the rain rolls in. Or someone begins to walk towards Jesus in our community and then they lose their job and have to move away. Calling comes and the finances dry up or the kids get sick or a trusted partner bails. You go to start a band and the drummer never shows up. You go to write a book and the publisher goes out of business. You go to a new land away from what you've always known in faith and trust and in hope. And what's the first thing that happens? Family. And if you're like me, the first question you ask when this happens is, why? What the heck? Why, God? And you know what Genesis says about why the famine? Nothing. If God has some larger explanation for why the famine, it's not given. It just happens. Abraham is given no forewarning or explanation. Famine just comes. And how does Abraham react? Does he react well? He just leaves. What? He, just leaves. he bails, right? <laughs> Abraham's like, I'm out of here. 
Remember, what are the two great promises given to Abraham? Land and family. And by the end of chapter 12, right, we didn't even get out of the chapter. And we see Abraham in Egypt having given away his wife. Right? He bails on land and family. The two great promises he's given, and he's bailed on both of them. Um, this, is, this is verses 10 to 13. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. And, when, and he was about to enter Egypt. He said to his wife, Sarai, I know you, what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me and will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So Abraham bails on land and family. As for being like a different kind of people, right? Like a people that actually walk in the promises of God and aren't just wicked in every inclination of their heart. We're off to a bad start, right? Like Abraham doesn't just bail in a benign way. He gives his wife away. Like this is gross, even by Old, St- Old Testament standards, right? It's not good. In fact, it, it, like in case we're questioning that, it takes Pharaoh to be like, dude, like, dude, not cool, <laughs> right? Like, Pharaoh, not Abraham, not the people of Israel. Pharaoh, who is a symbol of evil in the Old Testament, is the one who's like, Abraham, not cool, dude. Like, why did you do that to me? Get out of here. Take your wife and get out of here, man. So what we see in Abraham is that when the famine comes, Abraham becomes the worst version of himself. Maybe you can relate to that. When the famine comes, Abraham becomes the worst version of himself. He bails on his calling. He forgets the promises of God. He sells out his wife in order to protect himself. He shows nothing of the faith that brought him to Canaan in the first place. In famine, Abraham becomes the worst version of himself. So before we go any further, I just have to ask, where do we find ourselves in this story? Where can you relate? Maybe it's a specific calling to go to Canaan, to take a job, to set out on a mission, to take a risk of faith, or a more general calling to just be a follower of Jesus. You set out to do your thing, and famine comes, and you bow. Where have you let that disappointment turn you into the worst version of yourself? So the question we have to ask is, what's the alternative? What is the alternative when the famine comes? And we don't quite see it in this passage, but we'll see it throughout. Abraham seems to learn his lesson at least a little bit from this. 
Because we'll see when he goes forward, when he experiences setback, he actually talks to God about it. We'll see this two chapters over. Abraham will actually have this extended dialogue with God of being like, all right, you said that you blame a family, but like, I don't have a kid. What do you want me to do? And God doesn't smite him in this. God doesn't shoot him down in this. God enters in with him. And so the calling we have in this passage is when we go through the famine, to go through it with God, to go back to God. You can go to God and say, what the heck, God? And if we believe the Psalms, that the Psalms are true, you can use much harsher language than that, actually. And God's okay with that. God, where, where are you? What happened? You gave me this promise. How has it, how has it not showed up? Why did you send me to this land only to bring famine? And I think if we do that, if we actually go to God in that place, a couple things might happen. First, God might point us back to his promises. He might say to Abraham, hey, dummy, you remember that eternal promise I just gave you? I'm good for it. Even if you bail on your calling, I won't bail on my promises. And this is the promise we have in a book like Hosea, right? We might bail over and over and over again, and yet somehow God remains faithful to us. And so that when we actually go to God in the midst of the famine, he might say, don't worry, I got you. Go back to that promise. We're good. You might experience that in some very real way, or it might just be a reminder of the promises of Scripture that I will never leave you or forsake you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And even if we can't see the way forward, we can go forward in the promises of knowing that God doesn't bail, even if we will. In prayer, we might find a pivot too, right? The famine might be a way of God pointing us in a new direction or maybe even a new approach to an old calling. So the reality is the famine can actually be a place of creativity, right? The famine can actually be the place where we go, all right, God, how do we respond? Where is there something new? Where is there new vision? Where is there new direction? Where might we be called in a new way? But you have to do that with God, right? And what we see in Abraham is that when the famine comes, he doesn't do it with God, and he starts speeding up rather than slowing down. And when you go through with God, you're able to see that pivot potentially with clarity and intention and actually see if it smells like Jesus, not like giving your wife away to Pharaoh. You know, that's uh, typically not what you want to do in that place. Either way, going to God slows us down when the famine comes. Rarely is it a good idea to speed up, right? Rarely is it a good idea to go with our first instinct, especially if we are in a place of fear. Prayer gives us time to slow down, to get out of the lizard brain, to see everything within the calling of God. And we know at this point in the story, it's not like Abraham's poor, right? Like, he has resources. He does not have to run to Egypt for his next meal. That is fear speaking. So if you find yourself in the slam and in, in the slime, in the famine, slow down, don't speed up. Go to God and make a plan together. And even if we get new, no, no new clarity or vision, my experience is that when we cry out to God, God does in fact meet us there. Have you experienced that? That God shows up in lament? 
And at the very least, we can go through the famine with God. And the reality is there's a way to go through the famine and actually grow, right? Like maybe we've seen that. You don't actually have to become the worst version of yourself. You don't actually have to do lasting damage to your family. You can go through the famine and learn perseverance and faith. You can go through the famine and learn compassion and empathy. You can even be stripped of ego and the false sense of control. There's a way to go through the famine where we come out deeper and fuller people on the other side. So can you think of the time that the famine came and you walked through it with God? How did it go? And again, we'll see this just two chapters over in Genesis 15. Abraham will... Uh, God will renew the promises to Abraham, and Abraham will be like, God, I got no, I got no kids. What are, you, what are you talking about? And I'll talk through it. And God will meet him in it, and God will renew the promise and the covenant, and God will come close to Abraham and actually meet him in profound physical ways. And they'll go forth together in faith. about this story, especially if we go all the way from 1210 to the end of 13, is God promises Abraham land and family. Famine comes. Abraham freaks out, right? Leaves the land, tries to give away his wife, tries to bail on his calling. And by the end of chapter 13, where do we find Abraham? He's with his wife in the land. And God has reiterated the promises and the calling. So in other words, he ends up exactly where he was, just having done a whole lot of damage in between. This is Genesis 13, 14 to 18. This is how the story concludes. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Abraham ends up where he is supposed to be. God is true to his promise. Which makes this whole trip to Egypt pretty dumb, right? And I can pick on Abraham, but I've done this myself so many times. Right? Like God says he'll provide for me, and then the bank account gets too low, and so what do I do? Freak out, right? I freak out, and I start going faster, and I rush off to Egypt, and I do damage to my family, and I generally assume that God has bailed on me, so I better get after this thing myself. None of you have ever done that, right? <laughs> and then what happens? The check shows up. The bills get paid. Everything we need is there. 
And I end up right back in the same place I would have if I had just trusted God in the first place. But what I lose is the ability to go through it with God and actually grow through the experience. When that check shows up, you know what my posture is? I know I've said this before. I find myself apologizing to God, right? Like, I end up in the exact same place I would have, but I find myself going, sorry, God. Sorry, God. Sorry, I didn't trust. Sorry, I didn't believe. And then I have to go and do cleanup, right? I have to go and do cleanup for all the mess I've made, yelling at people, being anxious, being stressed out for the last couple of weeks or whatever. And so I end up right back in the land, right back in the same place, right back in the same place I would have otherwise. But I have to do cleanup and apology. When I actually go through it with God and that check shows up, you know how I respond? With praise, with joy, with faith. I may even grow in vision and in creativity. I learn that I can walk through scarcity and not fall apart. God and I grow in trust and in love, and I gain new vision for the kingdom of God. We ended up in the same place either way, which makes the anxiety pretty silly, right? It makes the trip to Egypt pretty silly. So I want you to think about that. Next time the famine comes and you're, 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 your head starts racing and your anxiety's going and your fear's running and you go, I just need to get to Egypt, right? Think about that. Think about where you want to end up at the end. You'll end up in the exact same place, but what do you want the process to look like? So here's the good news. Because I was thinking about this this week. And, you know, like, is there some story that I have where I've gone through famine? And the reality is, yeah, of course there is. And the reality is there's plenty of things I could look to right now, right, where I say, God, like, what's up with the famine? We will always go through these seasons. There will always be setbacks. Maybe God has grand plans for them. Sometimes we find that out. Other times we don't. Other times it just seems that famines just happen. But God hasn't bailed. For all the ways we might have lost sight of it, might have lost sight of calling, might have lost sight of the things that God has called us into, God hasn't bailed. Promises of God are true. Whether they are the big promises of Scripture or the promises that God has put on your life, God has not bailed. In every calling, the famine will come. And when it comes, we have a choice. We can go through it with God, which might not be easy. 
We might even hurt a little bit to lose our sense of control. But if we move toward God in the famine, we will walk through the famine well. We will come out the other side deeper and fuller and closer to God than when we started. Even if we go to the cross, we will find the resurrection. Even if we walk through the valley of death, we won't walk alone. So God hasn't failed. Whatever famine you have been through, whatever famine you are presently in, God is there with you. And I invite you to go back to God and walk through it with him. And you'll come out the other side, not apologizing to God, but rejoicing with God, growing in faith and in love in everything that you do. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, help us to come back to your promises, to know that they stand, that they are good, that they are full, that you haven't bailed on us even when the famine comes. Help us, Lord, to see those places in our life, maybe that we're in now, maybe when they come again, and walk through them well in you. In Jesus' name we pray. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.